Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord. Jesus came right on time. He was anointed as Messiah exactly as the Bible said he would be. God has given us abundant, credible evidence for Christ's divinity so that when he invites us to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the decision is a very easy one to make. So if he wasn't a liar and if he wasn't a lunatic, then there is no other option. It must be that he was and is who he claimed to be, the long-expected Messiah, God incarnate, the Savior of the world and Lord of all. As we head into the Christmas season after what has been a crazy roller coaster of a year, there is one thing we can safely ex expect Christmas carols with distancing and maybe masks, but we're going to hear them in the shopping centers, on television, and on the radio. Songs like Away in a Manger, Silent Night, The First Noel, and I know there'll be plenty of other songs sung too, but the point is, the world will be singing again about the birth of Jesus as it does at this time of year every year. But question, who is Jesus? And what makes his birth so special? Google offers us a thousand different answers, but regardless of what anyone thinks, really, as R. Price said, the single most powerful figure, not merely in these two millenniums, but in all human history, has been Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is the most influential person in history. Even Donald Trump agrees with this, by the way. He's more influential than Plato. Buddha, Confucius. Obama has the most followers on Twitter in the world, 126.8 million. Soccer star Cristiano Ronaldo, he has the most popular Instagram account in the world with 239 million followers. Friends, Jesus is followed by over 2.1 billion people around the world and has been followed by billions more over the last 2,000 years. The Bible, Telling his story is history's all-time bestseller. His birth, which we remember every Christmas, it divides history, B.C., before Christ, in A.D., Anno Domini, or in the year of our Lord. And Jesus made claims that no one else in their right mind has ever made. As Thomas Schultz said, not one recognized religious leader, not Moses, Paul, Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, have ever claimed to be God. That is, with the exception of Jesus Christ. Christ is the only religious leader who ever claimed to be deity, that is God, and the only individual who, ever, who has ever convinced a great portion of the world that he is God. So how can we test his claim? Well, we know for a fact Jesus existed. Josephus, he was born just six years after the crucifixion of Christ, wrote of him and his death. And the Greek historian Herodotus spoke of Jesus also. In fact, we have more eyewitness accounts attesting to the existence of Jesus than that of Julius Caesar. But was or is Jesus really God? Well, the Bible is filled with prophecy. The Bible is a book written by over 40 different authors from totally different walks of life, from kings to tax collectors, shepherds, 
fishermen, you name it, it's there. And it's written over a period spanning 1,600 years. That's 60 generations. And it's written on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, and in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And yet this book, it is pervaded by one single theme, God's planned rescue of human beings through the Messiah from the problem of evil. The Old Testament, which makes up about three quarters of the Bible, it is filled to the brim with predictions of the Messiah so that when he came, people could look at him and say, that's him. You might say, well, hang on a minute, Sharissa. How do we know that the Bible wasn't made up to fabricate the claims of Jesus? That's a really good question. I'm glad you asked. Well, today... We have over 5,600 manuscripts of all or part of the Greek New Testament on display in museums and libraries across the United States and Europe. In fact, some of these manuscripts date as far back as to the second century. We have 10,000 Latin manuscripts and 9,300 early manuscripts that exist. The closest book in the human race is Homer's Iliad, and we have only 643 partial manuscripts for it. We can be more certain about the original text of the Bible than about the original text of Shakespeare's plays. Wrap your mind around that. When I was single, some of the best relationship advice that I was given was this. If you don't know what you're looking for, you'll find it every time. And I've since realized that this advice applies to more than just dating. Because many people today think that Christ was Jesus' last name, but it's not a last name. Christ is a Greek word, Christos, meaning the anointed. And the Bible uses this name over 530 times in reference to to Jesus, the person of Jesus. The word Messiah is the Hebrew equivalent of Christ. What does Christ or the Messiah mean? What does it mean to be the anointed one? Well, after the crucifixion, Jesus' followers were understandably crushed. They had hoped that Jesus would be this Messiah figure who would rid them of Roman rule and restore the kingdom to Israel. But their idea of the Messiah wasn't the same as God's. This is why after his resurrection, the Bible tells us that Jesus reviewed with his disappointed disciples the ancient prophecies regarding himself. And I read from Luke 24, verses 25 and 27. Then Jesus said to them, that's he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. For Jesus, his death and resurrection made perfect sense because it fulfilled what the prophets had said would happen. And since Jesus said that this was the only way his followers could understand him too, right now I want you to take a look with me at the biblical record. And we're going to see for ourselves how closely Jesus fits the prophetic blueprint of the Messiah. You see, there are at least 61 major prophecies that contain some 330 details about the Messiah written centuries before Jesus was born. The scriptures foretold that the Messiah would come as a human. Listen to this. Genesis 3.15 says, And behold, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you, your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
Now, Satan, we could say, definitely bruised the heel of Jesus when his feet were nailed to the cross. But I want you to notice that in calling Jesus the seed of the woman, God was indicating that his promised one would come as the offspring of a human being, not as an angel or as an alien from outer space. He would be 100% God and 100% man. The New Testament confirms that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. We read in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. He came as a helpless babe, as a human. He came to reveal himself and his love to us. Jesus was God in the garb of humanity. The scriptures foretold too that the coming Messiah would be a male child not just a human, but specifically a male child. Isaiah 9 verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of course, we know from reading the Gospels, he was born as a baby boy. The scriptures foretold that the Messiah would be born a Jew, God told Abraham, the progenitor of the Jewish nation, in Genesis 22, verse 18, he said to him, In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. The Messiah was to be born a Jew, not an Egyptian or an Aussie. And Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, first verse of the New Testament reads, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In addition to being Jewish, The Messiah was also to be from the lineage of David, who was the king of Israel. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And verse 6 says, And Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. And centuries later, the Bible says in Matthew 20, verse 30, that Two blind men were sitting by a roadside when they heard that Jesus was passing by and they cried out to him and said, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. How amazing is that? The scriptures foretold the place of the Messiah's birth even. This prophecy was known to all Israel. It's Micah 5 verse 2. The Bible reads, but you... Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Do you realize that that Christmas carol we love to sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem, is actually about an incredible prophecy made by the prophet Micah that pinpointed the Messiah's birthplace almost 800 years before he was born. Matthew 2 verse 1 reads in the New Testament, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. That was no coincidence. Most people don't know that there were actually two Bethlehems in Israel. One was about 11 kilometers from Nazareth, but the one that is specified in Micah's prophecy was 145 kilometers away. So this is incredible. How does God accomplish this? How is this fulfilled? 
God uses the ruler of the Roman Empire to do it for him by decreeing that all the world should be taxed for a census. And because of this decree, Joseph takes his heavily pregnant wife in her third trimester on a long road trip by donkey. Isn't that amazing? I mean, in John 7, it's interesting to read that there were some people that existed in the time of Jesus and they didn't think Jesus was the Messiah of prophecy. You know why? Because they thought that he spent too much of his ministry in the northern province of Galilee. And so they ignorantly assumed Jesus was Galilean. But God is narrowing down the pool of the Messiah's prospects. It's, he's bringing it right down. Bethlehem was a little town. It's not a big population center like Sydney. And so the scriptures foretold this. It also foretold that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. You know, 700 years, just wrap your mind around that, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 7, verse 14, the Lord, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Mary was a virgin engaged to Joseph. We read the story in Luke chapter one. The virgin birth of Christ, it was unique and miraculous. And I am sure there are skeptics and cynics around today who very much doubt that this was even possible. They were there back then. But I believe that this is true because Jesus is the only one in human history who has lived completely a holy life. The scriptures even foretold the royal gifts that the Messiah would be given around his birth. Isaiah 60 verses three and six. This is amazing to me. It actually names gold and incense as gifts that would be brought to the Messiah. Wise men sought him then bringing these gifts. And I want you to know that wise men seek him still. The odds of these prophecies being fulfilled by just one person are huge, incredible odds. Mathematician, Dr. Peter Stoner did some good research and he calculated that if just eight of these prophecies could be fulfilled in one person. The statistical probability of eight of 61 major prophecies being fulfilled in one person was 10 to the 17, 10 to the power of 17. That's 10 with 17 zeros behind it. That's incredible. To illustrate what those odds look like, it would be the equivalent of covering the state of New South Wales with silver coins, maybe 20 cent pieces, 60 centimetres high or 60 centimetres deep, blindfolding a person and telling them to wait out there and find the one that you marked with the red dot on it. The first coin they pick up is that coin. This is the statistical probability that Jesus was accidentally the Messiah, really. It's like the odds of winning the lottery, only much, much less. And amazingly, as you study the scriptures, you study the ancient writings, not eight, but every single prophecy concerning the life of the Messiah was fulfilled in Jesus. This is powerful evidence for the Bible's credibility and its divine inspiration. And it keeps getting more amazing. Listen to this. Hosea 11 verse 1 reads, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The scriptures even foretold the escape of Jesus into Egypt following Herod's command to slaughter all the boys under the age of two in Bethlehem. You see, Satan even knew that Jesus was the one. 
That's why the enemy of God inspired Herod, that deranged king, to send his soldiers into Bethlehem and massacre all the babies under the age of two, all the baby boys under the age of two, because he felt his throne was threatened. And Satan wanted to destroy baby Jesus before he could complete the mission for which he was anointed, the saving of the world. Jeremiah 31, 15 reads, Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Scriptures contain numerous prophecies about the life and ministry and death of Jesus also. They tell us that the Messiah would restore sight to the blind in Isaiah 42, 6 and 7. You read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and Jesus did that. And I love the words of a song that tell the story of an imagined commotion in Galilee where a bystander asks a man running by, hey, what's going on? And in the words of the song, the man running by says, I was trying to catch the crippled man. Did he run past this way? He was rushing home to tell everyone what Jesus did today. And the mute man was telling myself and the deaf girl, he's leaving to answer God's call. It's hard to believe, but if you don't trust me, Ask the blind man, he saw it all. Jesus did all these incredible miracles. And in John 9, verse 32, we are reminded, the Bible says, since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. The scriptures foretold that the Messiah would be rejected by men. Isaiah 53, verse 3 says, he is despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. John 7 verses 5 and 48 tells us that even the brothers of Jesus refused to believe in him as a Messiah until after his resurrection. The scriptures foretold detail after detail concerning the closing scenes of the life of the Messiah. You know, The prophecies of the Messiah, they're scattered all over the place throughout history about different parts of his life. But the closer you get to the event of the cross, it's like there's a train coming. It just keeps getting louder and louder. And there are more and more prophecies that focus on that axis of the plan of salvation. Because you see, friends, the cross, it's the it's the axle on which the gospel revolves. Psalm 41 verse 9 prophesied that he would be betrayed by a friend. This is written a thousand years before Jesus' time. Judas was one of the trusted inner circle of the 12 who knew Christ better than anyone else. And as a familiar friend, the Bible tells us he betrayed Jesus with a kiss. We read it in the Gospel of Mark. Zechariah 11:12 foretold that the betrayal of Jesus would be for 30 pieces of silver. In the Hebrew context of the time, this actually wasn't a lot of money. In fact, This was the exact price of a slave. And when you stop and study this out, when you put it all on the table, all of these clues, all of these prophecies point us to one man. You see, Jesus would be betrayed by a friend, not an enemy, for 30 pieces of silver, not a piece more or less, of silver, no less, not gold or copper, which the Bible specifically said would be thrown down, not placed, in the house of the Lord and not anywhere else, the money would then be used to buy what is called the potter's field, not something else. Zechariah eleven thirteen then foretold that 
these 30 pieces of silver would be used for the purchase of this field. And we see in Matthew 27 that this is exactly what happened. In fact, you read Matthew 26 in the New Testament and we read how Judas, after he betrayed Jesus, overwhelmed with guilt and shame, the Bible says he went to the temple, threw the money down in the house of the Lord and said, I betrayed innocent blood. And they said, well, that's your problem. It's too late now. He went out and hung himself And then the priests said to each other, well, what do we do with this money? We can't put it in the treasury. It's blood money. And they said, well, let's use it to buy a potter's field to bury strangers in. There is no way that Jesus could have fabricated the fulfillment of this prophecy. And by the way, there are only two recorded people in the Bible that I can think of who kissed Jesus. One was Judas who kissed him on his face and betrayed him. And then Mary, the Bible says, she kissed his feet and worshipped him. When you're considering the divinity of the historical Jesus, you cannot plead ignorance. You see, God has given us these prophetic facts to help us draw intelligent conclusions. The scriptures foretold that the Messiah would be forsaken by his disciples. Zechariah 13, 7 says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And Matthew 26, 31 and 56 tell us that on the night of his unlawful arrest, All the disciples, the closest friends he had on earth, they forsook him, the Bible says, and fled. The scriptures predicted so much more also. They predicted he would be accused by false witnesses, that the Messiah would remain silent when accused, that the Messiah would be beaten and spat on, that he would be nailed to a cross, that he would be numbered with the transgressions, that his clothing would be divided by the casting of lots, that he would be ridiculed and mocked, that he would pray for his persecutors, that he would be offered gall and vinegar to drink, The Bible says the Messiah would be forsaken and also that none of his bones would be broken. Can you see how all of these details, Jesus fits every single detail of the prophetic blueprint? He would be pierced, the Bible says, in his side. That's in Zechariah 12 verse 10. And we read the Gospels and we see this happened just as it was prophesied. Centuries before his death, the scriptures foretold that the Messiah would be cut off from the land of the living. And Jesus was. In Isaiah 53, verse 4, the Bible says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Friends, the scriptures say that Jesus didn't die for himself. He died to save others. The following quote is from one of my favorite authors, and she puts it like this, Christ was treated as we deserve that we might be treated as he deserves. He was condemned for our sins in which he had no share, that we might be justified by his righteousness in which we had no share. He suffered the death which was ours, that we might receive the life which was his. We could go on and on. Isaiah 53, 9 foretold the Messiah would be buried in a rich man's tomb and Jesus was. But Jesus himself predicted that he wouldn't stay in that tomb, but he would rise on the third day. Jesus said that in Matthew 17, 22 and 23. Friends, Jesus didn't just foretell the fact of his resurrection. He actually specified the length of time that he would be in 
the grave. Even his enemies remembered this prediction and took precautions against it. They sealed the tomb, sending a Roman guard to stand by it to ensure no one escaped and he didn't come out and no one tampered with it. But their efforts were futile. The scriptures foretold the Messiah would rise and ascend to his father. Psalm 68 verse 18 reads, You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts among men. And as prophecy predicted, Jesus rose and he ascended as predicted to heaven. You see, Stephen, the first Christian martyr who sealed his testimony with his own blood, he said he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God in heaven in the book of Acts chapter 7, verses 55 and 56. Friends, either Jesus is the son of God or prophecies about the Messiah don't exist. But that's impossible because we have so many manuscripts. So the second option is not an option. You must be thinking, well, Sharissa, that's just using circular reasoning. Jesus rode on the donkey into Jerusalem on purpose because he knew that the scriptures said that the Messiah would do this. But friends, this prophecy that was written about that and many others that we've just looked at, they were written hundreds of years before. This one in particular, 600 years before Jesus was born. And we know that for sure because of the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found in 1947, date this prophecy to that. Zechariah 9 verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Isn't that amazing? That young foal fulfilled prophecy too. As you study the prophecies of the Messiah, you discover them that most of them are beyond human control. Like his birthplace, Jesus couldn't control that. His race, his heritage, the details about his betrayal and the manner of his death and burial, these were beyond his control. Fulfilling the scriptures isn't as simple as it might sound. Plus, when you keep in mind that there were 400 years of elapsed time between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament, it means it was impossible for there to have been any collusion between the writers of the two Testaments. In fact, even the harshest critic can't claim the predictions were made after the events happened. Sure, we could possibly find one or two prophecies fulfilled in someone's life, but all of them? One or two prophecies fulfilled in any person's life that we've listed would hardly convince anyone to accept that individual as the divine son of God and savior of mankind. But it's the cumulative effect, the cumulative effect of fulfilling all of them in specific detail that is overwhelmingly persuasive. If you're going to believe everything you read, start with your Bible. As we close out, when we follow where the evidence leads, it leads us to Jesus. No question. He's the one of whom all the prophets spoke. He's the one and only one who meets every test. These facts, as I have studied them, they have caused me to believe with all my heart and mind that Jesus was who he said he was, the Messiah, the Son of God. God has given us abundant, credible evidence for Christ's divinity so that when he invites us to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the decision is a very easy one to make. You see, the whole focus of these amazing prophecies is Jesus. And the whole purpose of Jesus is to save this world from sin. And that means you.
The Old Testament said he would come as Savior. The New Testament tells us the babe born in a barn in Bethlehem will come again as King of Kings. And he wants to save you. Who is Jesus to you? I don't know. Maybe you've tried everything and everyone else but Jesus. Tonight, right now, I want to invite you to put your trust in Jesus because he is the one.